Welcome back, everybody. We have Jenny Lynn Sweat with us. I'm going to let her introduce herself because she knows herself better than I know her. But she's coming in as one of our guest speakers for our love month. Uh, You heard it right. We are in our love month. It's February. We are glad y'all are here. But Jenny Lynn, do you want to introduce yourself and who you are and what you do? What do you want our listeners to know about you? Yeah, I would love to introduce myself. Thanks for having me. Um, It's good to be here with y'all. And I am the um, Director of Adult Ministries at Restoration Community Church in Maryland Heights. Um, I've been in St. Louis for almost 10 years now. First came here to be Susan Needler's roommate at seminary and graduated from Covenant in 2013 and have been on staff at this church since then. I have been single for 37 years and so have thought a lot about that. And I'm always glad for an opportunity to talk about that with folks and share some of what God's taught me through this and what he's put on my heart and some of the experiences and love getting to talk about this in the context of love month too. Awesome. So yes, she is coming in to talk about singleness and uh, to both affirm and to make known the hardships of singleness. And those of us that are not single may have a hard time relating or understanding, but The reality is we've all been single at one point, and so it's always important to keep the conversation going. And so she has definitely given this a lot of thought. She may go from here and write several books. Working on one right now? uh, She's working on one right now. So be the first to buy it. Just send her your money. (laughs) Um, I'll take it. All of it. And yeah, so she's going to come in and she is just going to kind of talk about what does it mean to be single? And we'll, we'll we'll just start there. So as far as you can relate this into the way that you do your job or just um, what does it mean to be single? How would you define singleness? How would, because we can say that word, but we got to start with some sort of definition. Yeah. You start with the easy questions, don't you? Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. So as a very basic definition, I think the way when we talk about singleness, I think what we are thinking about on the most basic level is someone who is not married. So I, I know some folks who use, you know, will will say unmarried instead of single. I use the terminology of singleness to use that fairly readily to describe myself. Um, I'm someone who's not married. We can use that term for folks who have never been married, for folks who are have been married and are single again, whether through divorce or widowhood, whatever that might look like. But I think in a, a little bit more to flesh out what singleness actually looks like, it is in in a lot of ways in functioning in culture, in our church, in the workplace as someone who is unattached as someone who is solo and often, you know, doing things where, where someone who's married is, is kind of always making decisions and living their life with that other person in mind, assuming it's a healthy marriage and and with obligations and responsibilities to that other person. That is something that is not a part of my life right now. I am not, I am not directly obligated to or responsible for another human being. I don't have a husband. I don't have kids. And so I, I function in the world very independently. I'm the only one on my taxes. I, I live alone. And so I'm the one taking care of things at my house. I'm the one that's responsible for any financial decisions that I make, the ramifications of those decisions. And if I think about what job I take or where I live, that's, that's, all, that's all me. But there's a little boy at my church who once asked his mom, mom, is Miss Jenny Lynn all alone? And I, I wish that I had been there for that conversation, but I wasn't. I heard it after the fact, but I love how she 
how she answered him and talked about the fact that, yes, like I don't have a husband, I don't have children. So in this little boy's mindset, I would be all alone, but I'm not all alone is the reality because I have friends, I have family, I have friends who are like family. I have an incredible church community that even though a lot of my functioning in the world is independent, I am very interdependent on those relationships, even as a single person. What what of that that you have described is both good and bad? And so uh, I think the often... Often they are two sides of the same coin, um, that, the, that the things that are good can just as quickly feel bad. As we're recording this, we're just coming off of a two, two days of snow and everything in my life was canceled. And, you know, I think, a, you know, from Friday afternoon until through Sunday, everything was canceled and I was home alone and Honestly, it was awesome. Like I, I loved it maybe a little bit too much to have that kind of just extended solitude. But at the same time, there was a little bit of an ache of that, of I am not having any like face-to-face communication with another human being for 50 hours. And that is something that, you know, that is often the case. Like if something gets canceled, that means that I'm not hanging out with people. I can go an extended amount of time without actually having like a real conversation with someone. I might be talking to people all day and it might be days before someone is really able to say, so how are you doing? Or what did you think about this thing that's happening in the world right now? Mm -hmm. That kind of thing. I think there's, you know, also some of the reality that comes with that of like, I can go for days without getting a hug or like physical contact with another person. And I have friends who are moms of young kids and they would like nothing more than to have no physical contact for a few days. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if that's as, I, uh-huh. I don't know if I hear that as much from dads, but um, I imagine it, it, there's similarity to that of, um, you know, when you are, when your physical body is being constantly needed and relied on and, and, utilized in various ways by little humans. That's a very different, you know, that's a, that's kind of touch overload. Whereas for single folks, it might be um, just a, a lack of touch. But I think one of the things that I've thought a lot about over the years is what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 7, where he talks about singleness as an opportunity to be anxious for the things of the Lord. And that's something that I've really had to wrestle with. Like I spent a lot of my life wanting to just ignore that passage or think of it as something that that doesn't that for some reason doesn't apply to us anymore but that chapter is there a former pastor of mine at one point when i was just lamenting some things about singleness he heard me as he had many times before and he sat with me in that lament but then a point in that conversation came where he said have you ever thought that maybe paul had a point paul said a lot of things like narrow it down for me and he said have you ever thought that maybe paul had a point about being singleness being an opportunity and singleness being um, a chance to really be anxious about the things of the Lord and to serve the Lord in a unique way because of your singleness. That's something that I really took to heart and have tried to be intentional about over the years is to, as much as I would love to be married, as much as I would love to have kids, 
I do see that there are things that I can do in my work, in my friendships, in my you know, role as just a member of our church, aside from just being on staff, that I can do in a different way because I am single, because I don't have those other obligations, um, that I can choose to have a longer conversation with someone because I don't have to rush home to feed the kids, and that I can choose to offer my help at, at multiple events in one weekend because I don't have some of those same obligations at home. And that is a really beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing to get to to be involved in the lives of families and be, you know, kind of a surrogate aunt to a lot of kids. Um, that's a really beautiful thing and something that I think about when I think if I ever do get married and have kids, that will be a loss for me is that I don't get to be as up close and personal in relationship with all of the kids um, or many of the kids, when people meet me at church and they ask, you know, do you have kids? Which is a pretty common question around our church. My response to them is I don't have kids, but these are all mine. You know, we have made covenant vows to those kids. And and so I, I think of them in a way as my own, that I've made promises to them that I have a role in their lives. And that's a really beautiful and precious thing. I think that's awesome. I think one thing that I'm hearing from you, which is entirely affirming of our call to our relationship with the Lord is, is exactly that, you know, our singleness or being single is is not the end. It, there are uh, redeeming things of it, and actually, you know, things that are accomplished by people that are single that can't be accomplished otherwise. Mm-hmm. But what's very um, evident of who you are is that you're still acknowledging relationship is important, mm-hmm. and that as you're talking about, you know, I'm I'm single but yet you spend all your time with people. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're introverted or extroverted. We don't need to talk about that. Regardless, our God is a relational God. Yeah. Whether you are married or not, being able to relate to people and be in the lives of people is really important. And single, being single allows you to do that in a way that those that are not single. And so that's a huge blessing. And mm-hmm. that's a huge blessing to the church and to the world mm-hmm. and to, to show that there's truth and validity and a, a plan for that and a purpose for it. So, Absolutely. So that's really encouraging. On the other side of things, it, it is hard. It's hard to navigate being single in a very coupled off world and society. Our concept of that is definitely westernized. It's definitely American and what it should look like. Mm-hmm. You probably have more perspective on that than anybody else because you get... You get to see the couples more. Most couples are kind of in their own bubble. We don't we don't get to see beyond our own immediate couple um, yeah. because we can't. We can't. We don't have time to look outside of it. Um, and so you're probably more aware of you know if you're you're watching couples navigate um, the world. Mm-hmm. What I don't know if you could speak to this, but what what is what do you notice people are struggling with the most as? People not being single. It's, what are they missing out on? I don't know if you can speak hmm. to that. If that's even like, what are couples missing out on? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, that's a great. I mean, that's a great question. That's something that you know. There are times when you know when I am very aware that as much as as much as I wish to be married and and can think of can sometimes think of marriage as the better thing, I, I am frequently reminded, and this is a grace to me that marriage and singleness one is not better than the other, although. Paul may think that singleness is actually better. You know, I I think in our practicality, it's not that one is better than the other. It's just that they both have different 
joys and challenges Mm -hmm. to them. And so when I think about, you know, folks who are married, there is, there are different limits on their time, on their independence, on their, even on their own sense of identity. I think there can be, you know, I, I define who I am in light of who I am as a daughter of God. And that is it. I am not someone's wife. I am not someone's mother. My bio, you know, when I, when I give my bio blurb for various things, like it does not say anything other than I am a daughter of God. And that is actually, I I find that actually really helpful. I think there's a lot that can come in when your identity, you know, when our world defines your identity as who you are attached to, that can complicate things. That can be a really beautiful thing, but it can also complicate things. I think there are, you know, I, I see, especially for parents, I see, you know, the pulls on their time as, you know, certainly you go through those early years of a lot of sleepless nights. And then as soon as the sleepless nights stop, then like the chauffeuring starts and then you're in the chauffeuring mm-hmm. season, you know, until the kids leave home um, or until, at least until they get their license. And and there's so much that's demanded of you in that. But I also, you know, I, I think couples do have an opportunity, you know, to use their marriage and their household life for the good of the greater community in a really beautiful way. And and I've seen some couples do that really, really well. I know that there's also some seasons where that's just not possible, where you as a family need to kind of hunker down and, um, you know, take care of each other. But couples who do that, where where their marriage is a vehicle for hospitality and for being open to the community, I think that's a really beautiful thing. You know, and the other thing that that I think is worth saying and just in response to your question is that I know that marriage is also not the be-all, end-all. It doesn't fix all our problems. And I think that can be something that for single folks, especially there can we can kind of get that message that, oh, marriage is going to be the cure for loneliness. It's going to be the cure for, you know, X, Y, and Z. But you're car will still break down when you get married. (laughs) Things will still go wrong. There will still be pain. There will still be loneliness in marriage and and marriage isn't going to solve that. And I think there are a lot of things that, that we can actually share in common. And even if they, even if these things don't manifest themselves in quite the same way, there's, there's a lot more that we have in common as single and married people than is different about us. When we first started having kids, it, it was a, a very drastic difference between being married and then all of a sudden having kids. Uh, I had always seen like getting married is much closer to being single than it is being married with kids. Yes. Than it is to yep. being married. And so with that is just some of that's just scheduling and there's just more parties involved. And so you're also not dealing with only adults. You're dealing with people that don't know how to use the bathroom by themselves. And, <laughs> right. uh, and so it, it definitely complicates things. But from, from what I'm hearing is, you know, it, it, it is definitely, there are some good things, but there's equally uh, some, some hard things. Mm-hmm. If you're willing to share is, you know, is marriage something you personally desire still even knowing firsthand the the goodness of singleness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, marriage is something that I still want and still hold out hope for. That's something that, you know, I've really had to wrestle with the Lord of especially as I recognize the goodness and opportunities of singleness. I have actually at times prayed that he would take away my desire for marriage because he doesn't seem to be meeting that desire right now. And, and so I, that's something that, you know, I, his ways are 
beyond my own. And so I, I don't know why he continues to put this on my heart, this sense that I, I do want to be married, that marriage would be a good thing and a, an, a different way that I could be part of his kingdom work on this earth. But yeah, that is something that I still hope for. And I don't know what his plan is in that. Or, you know, if if my wedding feast, well, if my one and only wedding feast will be, you know, the supper of the lamb when we're all together in the new creation, I would be I would be okay with that. But I would still like to have a wedding feast here on earth. That'd yeah. be nice. Mm-hmm. So, so why do you think there is that desire, uh, a desire to be married and a desire to couple off? Mm-hmm. For me personally, I think I see, I see that there are opportunities in marriage that are different than the opportunities in singleness. And those are you know, the opportunities for a, a different way of doing hospitality, a different way of doing ministry. There are ways in which I feel like I would be better able to to do some of the ministry that I do if I had a partner at home, you know, like if I had someone who was in the midst of home life with me, who was, um, you know, just supporting me and part of what I'm doing at home and, and supporting the ministry that I'm doing in my work as well. I think there is, for me, especially as I get older, there's an increasing desire to be a parent. I do know single folks who foster or adopt kids um, because they feel that calling that is not something that at this point I feel the Lord calling me to do as a single woman. That, yeah, and that's, that's just what, where I feel like he's putting me at this point in time. So for me, a desire to be married is very closely attached to a desire to be a parent and something that I, you know, continue to hope for, even though I don't know what that will look like, especially as I get older. You know, that's just more of an uncertainty for for how that will play out. But I also know and really trust that that the Lord gives us certain desires, even if he's not going to tell us how he's going to meet those desires. Mm. Um, and so I think that's something that as I as I continue to wrestle with him and, you know, submit those desires to him and try to, yeah, trust him in the midst of that. I think there, you know, I think the other, the other piece of that is marriage certainly can become an idol and it can, it's something that I think we see a lot of in our culture in general, but especially in our Christian culture that marriage can be idolized. And so that's something where I always have to kind of check myself um, to say is, is my desire for marriage, is this just an idolatry? Is it wanting something just for the sake of, you know, just just because it's what everyone else is doing, just because it might make some parts of my life a little bit easier? Or am I wanting it because I really feel like this is what God yeah. would want for me? Yeah. Uh, so that's that's always an important question to be asking. I think the more that the more that I walk alongside people who are married, the more that idol gets put in its proper place. And yeah. I, I see the I see a lot of pain that I am spared right now because because I'm not in an unhealthy marriage, especially. But but even even with that, even as I've walked with a number of folks over the years through really painful things in their marriages, the Lord hasn't taken that desire away from me. So I'll take that up with him. (laughs) (laughs) So what is, uh, you alluded to this a little bit, uh, what are the the dangers of singleness? You know, as you're raising children and as you're watching your own children Mm -hmm. go through, you know, relationship, not relationship, all that type of stuff, 
in the end, you know, we're all, like I said, we're all going to be single at some point in our life. Mm -hmm. And and for teenagers, it's most of their lives at this point. But as you're being single and as you're working through singleness, what are the dangers with that? What, What are you struggling with that, you know, people that are coupled off don't struggle with? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there there's da- there are dangers and struggles in kind of probably every facet of of life mm-hmm. um, that come with singleness. You know, I think especially thinking back to my teenage and college years when coupling off was like more in your face, like when mm-hmm. when it was just you were more in the thick of people coupling off. Um, there's a lot of rejection and questions of self-worth and, you know, what, what is it about me that, you know, why, why is someone dating her, but no one's dating me? Why is someone, you know, why did she get asked to the dance? And I didn't get asked to the dance, those, those kinds of things. And that's not to say that I am free of those things now by any means, but that's something that I think when it's really, when the coupling off is really in your face, that there's a lot of Mm. lies that can creep in about self-worth. And I think there can be a sense that, that there's a way to do it right, that there's a, a formula for coupling off. And the reality is that the Lord just doesn't work that way. And, and, our relationships just don't work that way, that there's not a formula to it, that you can do everything that you think is right and still not end up having someone to date or having someone to marry. And you can look at someone else who's done everything like quote unquote wrong Mm -hmm. and they're in a relationship. And so we know it just doesn't add up. Um, And so that can be, I think the process of, of wrestling through trying to figure out like, how do I do this? Like, what do I, what do I do this? I don't want this. Like, I don't want to be single, but I don't know how to get to coupled. That can be a huge place of just emotional danger and relational danger. And yeah, there can just be a lot, a lot there. I think another, um, another thing, and this is probably a little bit more true as, you know, as the years go on mm-hmm. is just the danger of being isolated um, and not really being, not really being known by people. It's very easy. It's easy for anyone to hide. Even I think in a marriage relationship, it's easy. There, there are ways you can find to hide. It is super easy for a single person to hide yeah. um, and, and for, you know, for things to, for sin struggles or needs or just, you know, internal things that are going on to not be known by anyone. And I think that's a, you know, that can be a huge place where, where singles can be really vulnerable and where, where friends and family in the church has a huge opportunity to come in and say, we want to know you. We want to pay attention. We want to notice if you don't show up for church for a couple of weeks, or if we're not hearing from you, like we want to we're going to check in on you. Yeah. I think another area of danger is certainly with sexual temptation. And, you know, that's something that, that especially with, again, in our culture, sex being so in your face and sex being completely unattached to marriage in our culture now, that that's the message that, that our youth are getting. And, and that even many of us got, you know, as we were growing up that to know what to do with your sexual temptation and the fact that you don't, your sexual desires don't like wait to flip a switch when you get married, mm-hmm. that, that, that those desires are there and that options for meeting those desires are, are available everywhere we look. Um, and so I think there's, there's a lot of, um, 
just a lot of pitfalls there. Mm. That's a, a place where we really need the church to be discipling us well in that. I know in my own story, that's something where, you know, the, the main message of that I got in the church growing up was true love waits and, you know, just, just don't have sex until you're married. And that was, that was the extent of like the sexual discipleship that I received. And that was a good, I mean, that was a good message, but it was insufficient, Mm. especially for those of us. I think that I think that kind of, we all took that message with a mentality that like we'd all probably get married when we were graduating from college. And so we can just hold out until then and we'll be fine. Mm-hmm. And it didn't really equip us for extended singleness and figuring out what what sexual faithfulness looks like um, as people who are going to be single for like a lot longer than we would have thought um, yeah. that we might be. I met my wife when I was 18 and hmm. we got married when I was... 23. I could be wrong. Maybe 22. I think 23. But we've known each other um, at this point. We're getting closer to the point where we've known each other as long as we've not known each Mm -hmm. other. And so some of this is like, is baffling to me, but some of the, some of it is like our greatest struggles hit us when we're teenagers because we already have struggles of self worth and identity and who am I, who I am going to identify myself with who is willing to pursue me. Yeah. And we know that that is why we should rely on the Lord for that because he is always going to pursue us Mm. no matter how many times we fail. Put our hope and faith in something that's not that is always going to come short of that. And that's why, and you've stated this, is we shouldn't idolize marriage because it's not going to solve that problem. Right. Our spouse is always going to fail us. Mm-hmm. I've told my wife that. You have failed me, and she tells me that all the time. I have failed her. But nevertheless, when, when you hit those teenage years, you really start to have those questions of self-worth and mm-hmm. who am I and who do I belong to? Yeah. Our society and our culture tells us you need to belong to somebody, whether that is through marriage. And marriage is just one of the avenues you can put belong. Mm-hmm. It's no longer the way of belonging to somebody. In other ways, the big combated one is sex. Is you yeah. know, sex provides belonging to somebody mm-hmm. um, in a healthy way and an unhealthy way. And the healthy way is obviously through marriage, but. Yeah. Most people experience it in the unhealthy way. And as y'all were teenage girls, and this includes you, Susan, you can speak to this. But as you were going through singleness as a teenager, I'm sure y'all were combating that. Um, and at, from a guy's perspective, my, my worth was how many women could I or girls could I bring to me. I'm, I'm known by how many women I could attract and a woman's, uh, a girl's self-worth is found. Can I get that one guy to pursue me and um, give me who he is? So I don't know if, uh, if there's any story or any sort of developmental experience that you had as a teenager where that all started or um, when that started. Am I wrong in saying that's roughly around the teenage years where all of that starts to come up front or um, you, or would it be earlier than that? Is it the day that we're born? It, I, 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 I'm sure there is some truth to that, mm-hmm. but our self-awareness of that probably comes forward as, you know, 13, 14, 12, I don't know, um, especially as a, as a girl. I think it can, I think it's funny how it starts so early, but it seems really innocent. I think mm-hmm. um, even just watching 
Jack and Luke, just the funny things we'll say, or even Jack um, is very aware of a girl in his class and he'll talk to me about wanting to marry her. He's four, you know, um, it's cute. It feels harmless. Um, but you realize how early on those things are in your mind. For me, I think I would say I, I noticed boys early on. Mm -hmm. I was very interested. I was a very girly little girl. Um, and then definitely by middle school, the temptation, like what we were just explaining was so high. Um, I think cause people are intrigued. There's more independence at that point in your life than you've ever had. And so, I mean, it's just somewhat of the allure of playing with fire. I think some of it is that mm -hmm. because you're independent and, um, it's almost, it's, almost like a dangerous game that you're just starting into. I just want people to mostly hear like, this is a shared experience, you know, of having those questions and those doubts and those struggles and mm -hmm. um, the shared experience of singleness and the struggles that go along with that. Um, also the opportunity for good things to come with it. If it is utilized properly, I would mostly say why, why you're here is to say, you know, you have utilized your singleness well. I'm sure you've fallen short of what it's supposed to be as you are a sinner. That's what we do. We bring guests on and we call them sinners. But <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I'm sure you've fallen short of that. But nevertheless, yeah. there is um, redeeming things and not just redeeming things, mm -hmm. but God designed things for singleness. And we're not born into marriage. Mm -hmm. We're born as single people with people to care for us and be in relationship with before we get married, if we get married. Mm -hmm. We don't ever talk about that. Yeah. And I don't know why that is. Mm -hmm. Maybe you know. Do you know? <laughs> you know, I, I think there are social scientists who, you know, who talk about this and talk about, especially in the church, where there was a point where the church really felt a need to kind of reclaim and elevate marriage. And I think that's part of why, you know, we we hear so much about marriage and do really elevate it in a way. You know, we we all have heard that marriage is a school of sanctification. And so there's this idea that you're really not even mature until you're married, which if I'm not if I'm not at least on like a course of maturity by the time I'm 37, I've got some other issues to deal with. Yeah. You know, I think, I think there's, I think it's, it's just been hard for us to really see a, a vision for what flourishing singleness looks like. And so as we think about our kids, I mean, at, at most baptisms I've been to in the past few years, you know, at, at most, you know, you talk, you think about young kids and people talk about starting to pray for their future spouse day one. And, and I think there is something really sweet and good about that. But I would also say, are we praying, are we praying for their future singleness, which is a guarantee just as much as we are praying for their future marriage, which is not guaranteed mm -hmm. to them because it is a, it is a guarantee that we will, as you said, all be single at some point in our lives. Many of us who are married will be single again at some mm -hmm. point in our lives if, if our spouse is the first one to pass away. And we will all be single in eternity because mm -hmm. there is no marriage in heaven. And, and so are we, you know, talking from, from early on about 
our kids' singleness and in that season of their lives? And are we helping them to to not rush to being coupled off? Yeah. And I think that's something that, you know, as we think about even who are the role models for our kids? You know, do they only see married people? Um, do they only see married adults in their lives? Or are there, are there single people um, that, that are visible to mm-hmm. your kids that are living flourishing lives? Something that I've realized probably in the past six or eight years, finally made the connection that the church I grew up in had a number of very active, very engaged older single women who were probably in their 50s and 60s when I was a kid. And it never occurred to me to think of them as sad or lonely mm. or like because they were so deeply ingrained in relationship, so deeply invested in the life of the church, in the lives of the kids of the church, that that I don't know that, you know, when I was 25, I was thinking, oh, I really want to be like Edna and Marie. Mm-hmm. But, but now as I get a little bit older, that still gives me a picture of, oh, remember how much Edna and Marie meant to us as kids and how much they poured themselves into our church. And I've actually talked to one of, I've, I reached out to, to one of them who's still living and, and talked to her about this and just learned about how much our church had poured itself into her mm-hmm. and, and the ways that that, that that made her singleness a joy, even though she would have loved to have been married. Are we, are we painting a picture for our kids that um, certainly I want, I want our kids and our teenagers to think that marriage is a good thing, Mm. but are we also painting a picture for them that if marriage is, is not God's plan for them, or if it's not his immediate plan for them, that there are still meaningful ways to serve, meaningful ways to, to offer your life, meaningful ways to have deep, intimate relationships with people and a place to belong. I love that you were talking about that, John, because I think that's such, we, we want to belong to someone. Mm-hmm. And what does it look like to, to give our kids and our adults a vision of meaningful belonging to a community and to the body of Christ and not just to one other person? Mm-hmm. I love what you're saying too, because one thing that I have been chewing on since you said it earlier is that this is more an identity issue than anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you were saying, even how we pray for our children as infants, it's actually more about their identity than, oh my goodness, are they going to get married or not? Mm-hmm. Like, that's not really, hopefully that's not the thing that's like making our hearts beat every day. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. It's like, no, I want our kids' identity so rooted in who, God's made them to be in that relationship. Yeah, um, yeah. That whatever comes, they'll steward it well. Because like you said, already, that's already been mentioned, like not all marriages are really easy and wonderful in this beautiful picture mm-hmm. that God intended. And so like, I think a lot of struggle within marriage can even be around identity. Yeah, yeah. That is also a thing. Yeah. And what you were saying, John, about where does this start and thinking like, yeah, some of the biggest questions you're asking, I can only speak to girls, but like as a 13 year old girl, um, being noticed or not being noticed by a boy can have such damaging mm-hmm. ramifications to your identity. Yeah. Especially when it's not placed in the right place. And like we've also said, our culture is always saying like, we need to look cute. Cause like you want a boy to notice you, you know, that's, right. yeah. that's the important thing. It's like, well, that's not, actually the important thing in life and 
beyond life. Yeah. What is the thing that's going to be the core? And I just, I really appreciated you said that earlier because I was like, you know, it's really not about all these things. It's actually about where's our identity. And I love that that's the part of your bio that's the most important. And Mm -hmm. like, it's sad that that's not the first on everyone's list of like, Mm -hmm. the most important belonging is that I'm his. Mm -hmm. That's the most lasting most secure, most healthy thing about me. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. So I really appreciate you saying, saying that. So thanks for that. Yeah. I want to make sure we, we talk about this in a way that is um, helpful for, for parents of teenagers. Yeah. And I think we've hit on some things that are extremely helpful. But one thing that comes to my, my mind, and this is because it's my own experience, is that I feel like parents want to make sure their kids get married and in some ways to know that they're going to be safe and secure. Mm. As soon as they marry them off, it's almost like the parent can sit back and say, oh, my job is done. Yeah. Great. <laughs> I don't have to worry about that. And I say that's my own experiences. You know, I'm the youngest of five. Three of us are married and two are not. And the likelihood that um, the other two get married I have no idea. I can't. I cannot tell you if they will or will not. I could take a, a gamble. I'm not going to, in case they're listening. Actually, I probably tell them to their face. But the the other half of it is, you know, the three of us that are married. My parents, in some sense, are like okay, they're married off, and I'm not putting my parents in a bad light. But that's just what we do. Is like mm-hmm. finally somebody else can care for my child. Yeah. And the reality is life is just as hard, you know, mm-hmm. as you enter into marriage mm-hmm. and in some ways harder because now you're taking your entire individual single self and combining it with another individual <laughs> single self yeah. and saying, all right, you two live under one house and see if you can be compatible. Yeah. And sometimes it works out really well. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times it doesn't. Mm-hmm. It's really, really hard. And in some ways it's times when people find their greatest struggles is when they first get married, mm-hmm. which is why the divorce rate is so high because we're told like, oh, if it's not working out, you just divorce and you move on to the next thing. Yeah. So we don't want to do that. But as a parent, how can you not prepare your kid for to just hand them off to somebody else, which is what we do with marriage, is saying, here you go. They're your problem now. Um, mm-hmm. I say problem, um, but you know, I'm, I'm trying to imagine my own kids being married one day, which terrifies me <laughs> because they're all under five. And what I'm hearing you say is, you know, you said one day we're all going to be single, mm-hmm. you know, and the kingdom to come, we're, we're not going to be coupled off or married off mm-hmm. because our relationship with the Lord is going to be so good. Mm-hmm. And how do we affirm kids and students to say like, this is actually something to look forward to is our singleness and relationship with the Lord. Mm -hmm. How do we affirm that? How do we encourage that as parents, as leaders, as church members, Mm -hmm. as lay people, whoever we are? Yeah. I mean, I I think the most important thing that we can do for our kids and our youth is to help them have a sense of who they are in Jesus and, and who Jesus is, you know, what it, what does it mean to love the Lord, your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength. And what does that look like to, to, to do that 
in whatever season of life that you're in. And, and so as we help them figure out what does it mean to follow Jesus as a high school student in my particular school with my particular friends, in my particular sport that I play, you know, as we help them to, to develop those skills of figuring out how to live out their discipleship, I think then we're equipping them to say, okay, what does it look like then for me to live this out as a college student? as a college student who is or isn't in a dating relationship, as an adult who's looking for a job and a church home and maybe a relationship or maybe not a relationship, you know, as we seek to instill in them and model for them a love for the Lord, a trust in Him, how to go about seeking His guidance and His Mm -hmm. will and His direction for whatever season of life that we're in. I think that is that is the best thing that we can do because that is what we need throughout all of life. And I think second to that probably is um, helping our kids develop a sense of what it means to be brothers and sisters in Christ and what it means to be family in the church because that is the other thing that is going to be consistent, Lord willing, throughout all of our lives is that, that the church will be there. And, and so are we going to think, are we going to, as we move to a new place or as we go off to college, are we going to think about what's the church I can get involved in? How can I offer my own gifts? How can I seek out relationship and, you know, family-like relationships with other people in this church? And I think that's something to help kids start to learn about what does it mean to be a member of a church? What does it mean to be part of the body? What does it mean that that this is our spiritual family? Um, Because that is something that will be consistent for us throughout all of life, regardless if we're single or married or single again, that that is something that we are called to be part of. And so I think instilling, instilling that in our young people is huge. And I know for me has been a huge part of my singleness is having having my church family around mm. me and having that be a place where I can give of myself, where I can be known and where I can know others, where I can find those those intimate relationships, where there is trust and where there is accountability and where there are people who are invested in my life where I know that that I do have a sense of belonging. Mm. And that's been that's been essential for me. Mm. Well, thanks for being here. We're, we're about out of time. And uh, what you've brought to the table is so worth talking about. Mm-hmm. And we just want to thank you for, for coming in and yeah. opening up. And I'm sure some of this is not easy to talk about, but it is something that is definitely needed. And so we thank you for that. Yeah. As we wrap up, I don't know if there's any sort of resources you can point anybody to, websites, books, maybe your book that's coming out <laughs> if you want to give an early plug to it or, you know, uh, just anything, uh, places in scripture that are just really helpful. I don't know if you have anything off the top of your head or, yeah. 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 Um, I mean, I think one thing, you know, for just to check ourselves in that marriage, you know, that marriage mindset that we have is to go read through first Corinthians seven and, and, acknowledge that it's in the Bible and that we have to listen to Paul um, and remind ourselves that Paul and Jesus were both single Mm. and that there are many other 
single folks throughout the Bible. But one of the best books that I have read that I think especially could be helpful for your listeners is called Faithful. It's by Beth Felker Jones. It's a short book, but really gives, it's, it's a theology of sex, but it really paints a picture that is very inclusive of singleness and marriage. Mm. She's a college professor at Wheaton, so she has kind of that, that age group in mind, but it's been one of the best books I've read on the topic in a number of years. And so I'm always quick to recommend that. And, you know, another, if people are interested in just more of a kind of big picture theology of singleness, um, there's a book called Redeeming Singleness called Barry Danilak that's very academic. It's a good, you know, like very rich scripturally and theologically looking at singleness throughout scripture, Mm. which has been really helpful just in in kind of grounding me in in what it looks like to, to be a single believer and how to push back against some of the messages, the confusing messages that we get in our culture. Well, Jenny Lynn, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for being here. Listeners, if you are wanting to talk more about this, and this will be something we will will bring forward at our Hawks and Hornets conference, and we hope to see you there. Uh, we will probably bring some of those resources with us. So if you want to thumb through those before you read them or purchase them, come to the conference, and we hope to see you all there. So thanks, Jenny Lynn. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. 